We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length, members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to Dear Prudence. As always, I am your host, Daniel Mallory Ortberg. Today's show was the final stop on our live tour, recorded live at the Museum of Pop Culture in Seattle on March 20th, 2019. I was joined on stage by author and assistant professor of English at UC Berkeley, Grace Lavery. Oh, hello, everyone. Um, I've always wanted to say this. Good night, Seattle. Oh my God, why did we not prepare any Frasier material? I, my life is Frasier material. Jesus Christ. I have so I much Frasier. I not until I literally sat down. This is great because it means that we're going to get to have so many, because our life, I think, is very oh. Frasier. Okay. Yeah. You're Martin. I'm Niles and you're <laughs> Daphne. Could there be a more T for T couple in sitcom history? Uh, yeah. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, this is the last uh, night of the tour, and I'm really excited to have Grace with me as my guest. Grace has been one of the most like long-standing and beloved guests on the show, and now we're getting married, so that just feels... <laughs> Not like because she was such a good guest. Like, that was <laughs> happening... You too could marry your podcast host. <laughs> <laughs> like... Separately, because we already knew each other, but it, it has been great, and the the show has been a big part of our courtship. Um, I'm I'm gonna move ahead to our first letter, which I'm very excited to read, oh, and shit. there is a line in it that I just left in because I have some theories about it. It doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the letter, but I was like, I'm not gonna help this person out. But it and is edit the whole thing. It is totally the whole it's thing. It's totally the whole thing. All right, so here we go. Subject is privileged problem. Dear Prudence, my marriage was recent, but my husband and I have been together since before we were in our 20s for nine years. He's truly amazing, and we've been inseparable since we met. I live with his mother because my husband has gone half of the year for work, so not that inseparable, and she has medical issues. She retired early and stays at home. I'm very lucky to live in a decent neighborhood and that we get along for the most part. However, the city I live in is quickly expanding, leading to increased crime and a vibe I just don't enjoy. That was the mm. line, in case you were curious. Um, I'm almost done with school, and the best jobs for my major will be in smaller mountain towns. I want to move away when I'm done with school. I feel completely tied down because my husband won't move away from his mother. To a degree, I can understand this. She's a bit limited in what she can do and has no other family in town. However, she can fully function without us and only retired early because she wanted to. She has no friends and no hobbies and doesn't intend to change that. When I started dating him, I had no idea I would end up moving in to care for her. 
When we got married, he heavily implied he was eager to leave town, but that has since changed. I feel selfish but resentful. Leaving him is out of the question, but now I feel trapped in this city, which is rapidly turning into something that depresses me. This feels like such a privileged problem, which in turn makes me feel even more guilty for obsessing about it. Overall, I love my mother-in-law, but I'm frustrated with this situation. She's getting lonely, even with me here, and is becoming a bit neurotic and extremely negative. Am I wrong for wanting to just move? Is there ever a compromise that truly works? I edited this a lot, and yeah. every time I read a letter out loud, I realize like what looks condensed on paper sounds like Middlemarch There's, length. I don't know what you are implying about Middlemarch. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it is long. I guess that's one thing we know about that novel, you philistine. But it strikes me that there are like five different questions here. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, one question I'm coming away with is, is M-I-L really a traditional abbreviation for mother-in-law? Oh, it's a huge thing on all the, like, boards. Ah. See, when I see those letters, I think of something else, Daniel. Do you think of MILFs that I got cut off mil- a little like bit? like cut off MILFs. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Three quarters of a MILF. Sadly. Maybe, like, more my like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only it meant that. Um, yeah, so uh, having gone to... An evangelical Christian college in suburban Los Angeles in the mid-aughts. I feel like I have a lot of familiarity with couples where one member is in the military and they've been together since they were teenagers. And it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a big energy. Um, Oftentimes those couples end up getting divorced. Um, I don't Sound of s- a helicopter in the background. Yeah, circulating I mean, fan overhead, shadows. You know, I, I just like... The military. Between like... You know, the like the news we've had lately about the number of like the handful thus far of military members who have been like exposed as having like white supremacist connections and then including the line of like, there's a vibe I just don't enjoy, which like just picking between the lines. What I'm reading is like this city is getting less white. And I don't like that. That yeah. is what I'm reading between the lines here. Do you feel like that's a fair assessment of this letter? I, I do. That was how I, I read. The city I live in is quickly expanding, leading to increased crime and a vibe I just don't enjoy. But it did make me think possibly that, in a sense, what it's possible that what's being objected to is something that we'd call gentrification, which might have a different kind of way of thinking about vibe. Sure, yeah. I want to be open to that, certainly. That's a possibility. But it wasn't my first reading either. Yeah, yeah. but it, that may, especially I want to move to a small mountain town. Just felt yeah, like... That's the kicker, yeah. yeah. And stockpile, well, like it doesn't... I don't know... I don't know that... I don't know how much I want to help this person. Okay, but is staying with the mill going to help? <laughs> no. I mean, I agree with you. Let's, let's make fun of this uh, racist. But... Um, <laughs> What is helped in the world by, by, by keeping her in this relationship with her mother, which, uh, mother-in-law, which I find such a... Can you imagine the conversation where one person would say, so do you have any friends? No. Do you have any hobbies? No. <laughs> any plans to change that? I do not have yeah. any plans to change either my friend total or hobby total. I will stay on zero friends and zero hobbies indefinitely and invite you to deal with it. Yeah, so... <laughs> Very much, I, I think this. there's that bit of like, when I started dating him, I had no idea I would end up moving in to take care of her. He heavily implied that he wanted to leave town, but that has since changed. I don't, nowhere in here is like, and then one day we had a conversation and he asked me to move in with her and I agreed. It kind of sounds like this either snuck up on her by degrees yeah. or they all like... The two of them moved in together, and then he was like, hey, I have to go overseas. Can my mom stay? By the way, my plane leaves tomorrow, and I am going you know, to the military, so I might die, so you should probably say yes. Um, maybe I am reading too much into that. 
So I, I work in a university and mm-hmm. um, I'm really, I've been struggling since you first showed me this letter to imagine what major is particularly well suited to the smaller mountain towns. Um, Forest management? I mean, I don't think so. That would be a rural gig that you could do anywhere in the Mountain country. management? I mean, but it would have to be smaller urban planning in mountain. Ma- Mountain-themed urban planning on a small scale. Okay. <laughs> or on a, not, not small, but smaller. Working, on a yeah. me- medium to small scale urban d- planning for m- mountain people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I can't it does seem it oddly specific. It does seem, but it also seems like it's in bad faith, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, yeah. It's not that I want to move to a smaller mountain town. Far from it. Oh, I'd love to be one of your cosmopolitan urbanites sipping champagne out there in Seattle with those psychiatrists. But, but as sadly, a Chuck Wagon planner, <laughs> there's only three cities for me. Yeah. Um, the three of the smaller mountain towns. Yeah. yeah and, and the vibe. Try that a I, larger mountain town, you know? Anyway. The vibe about? that I get from this letter writer is very much my only options are keep doing this forever or leave my husband. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how to say something like, I want something and I'm willing to do things that make my relatives unhappy. Um, or, or even like, I would like to move to a smaller town for a while just mm-hmm. because I would like to. Um, and I want to really separate that from like the coded implications of like vibes, which let's there be generous. There are plenty of reasons why people might want to move to smaller mountain towns. Yeah, absolutely. So smaller mountain towns are charming. The is this a small mountain town? Is Seattle a small mountain town? No, it's a large, a one of the, the largest cities on the West Coast. I was going to say, if this is a small mountain town, it's delightful. Yeah. But it doesn't qualify. <laughs> no, at the, very, at the very least, you would say this was a smaller mountain city. But it's a medium-sized mountain city, shading into a large one, you know? That's a good point. So yeah. I, I think, yes, with this person, reassess what you mean by changing vibe. Get specific in your head, not out loud. Like, think about what is this vibe? Why am I uncomfortable? Um, is my safety actually being threatened here? Um, or is there something that makes me uncomfortable because I've never had to think about it before? And if so, why? That's a lifelong question that will maybe lead to some interesting thoughts in your head that I would encourage you to pursue. But, uh, you know, coming to the question of, am I ever allowed to say to my husband, hey, I would like to in the next year not be living with your mother. Mm-hmm. I, pl- I plan on doing that. How do we, you know, how, how can you be a part of this process with me? How will you come and visit me during your half a year off? Um, and say that t- to your husband rather than like wait for him to say, you are allowed to leave my mother. She is clearly going to live if you go. Like she is going to be able to continue to not like people from the comfort of her own home. Mm-hmm. Um, so this isn't something that you need She's not going to like it, uh, and he's probably not going to like it. And that is something that you're going to have to figure out a way to, um, to accept. So I take it you don't want to play the leave your husband card at this point? Because um, that's obviously my first instinct in general, you know? Smoke a little weed, leave your husband. You, you, don't, you don't recommend that people smoke weed? Hardly I, ever. I don't, but this lady needs to smoke a little weed. Fair enough. You know, I, I didn't want to say try a little acid, you know, but that, maybe try a little acid. Fair you know? enough. Dro- leaving aside the drugs. Anyway, my point is, you know, leave your husband, live a little, go to a larger mountain town for once, you know, feel the, the, the wind beneath your wings. I think, so one of the things that I'm trying to do is not recommend that people leave their husbands less, but 
add it to a list of possibilities. I, I respect that. And, so and, I yeah. think if this person in the situation she has described says, you know, we've been doing a lot of my helping your mother-in-law while you're away, I'm not going to do that anymore. I think that will eventually lead to them splitting up because I, I don't think, see how it could. Yeah, I think he will say, actually, what I have wanted in a wife is someone who looks in on my mom while yeah. I go away. Because if this, uh, I mean, you know, we should probably say this. Um, if the husband is just okay with this mm-hmm. uh, setup and has n- no sensitivity to the unlivable situation that he's put his wife in, um, that's not okay. Actually. Yeah, that's yeah. really not okay. And. Um, I think she. It, it's certainly true that she has a responsibility to articulate her discomfort and her desires herself. Um, but the situation is not a livable one. Yeah, and, and if he hasn't noticed that himself, then I would imagine he's a deeply insensitive individual. And I would say that part of the problem does not strike me as privileged. Saying like, I think I, I feel like my husband like misled me into thinking the two of us were going to start an independent life together and then put me in a position where he made me feel responsible for his like ailing mother while he was on the other side of the world. And I don't know how to say I want something else for my life without getting it from both of them that I'm selfish and thoughtless. Um, then that's, that's a real problem. And I think if you say, I'm not going to keep doing that. And your husband says you have to, you'll probably get divorced and that will be good. But if there's a 5% chance you say that and he says, Oh wow! I I guess you have your own opinions about where you would like to live. Let's talk about that. Then you know maybe you can go somewhere from there. Um, but yeah, you don't have to keep doing this. Uh, you don't need an excuse to leave. That's like, oh, my major means I have to live in Boulder. Um, that's a large mountain town, Daniel. <gasps> What's a small? That's not what, it, the small amount of towns are not places that you or I know. The, the mountain people have them. We don't know <laughs> the where they are. People. It's not Denver or Boulder. The, the wisdom or of the Seattle. prospector. Yeah, you know, All right. it's other Colorado towns. You're right, you're right. At any rate, you don't have to say. Not even American. Because of my major, I have to leave. You can say, I'm going to leave. And that will be fine. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the US like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Would you read our next letter? Okay. I mean, are we... Yeah, okay. I have more thoughts about that. But is there any... Yeah, is there anything else that you feel like we haven't no, gotten fine. to? it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Let's just move on. It's fine. Um, (laughs) uh, So, new friend group turned on me. Dear Prudence, I recently moved to a new city and made a group of great friends. I've been having a blast. Until about a month ago, one of the friends in the group, Maureen, recently came into money. Before this, it seemed like uh, she was the least financially stable and least mature member of the group. One night, she called to ask if she could borrow money to fix her car, and I said no. 
She immediately started blaming me for all of her financial troubles and claimed that I'm the one who broke the car when I borrowed it a few months back. I didn't. I returned it to her just as I'd found it. Now she's telling the whole group and everyone is taking her side. But when I first met everyone, they all warned me about Maureen, and a few of them even implied they didn't want to be friends with her anymore. But now the story is that she's trying to get her life together, and I'm holding her back because I broke her car. I've tried telling my side of the story to no avail. Everyone says I just make this right by paying for her car. I keep thinking I should try to make new friends. But that's really hard for me, and this is the first time I've found one person, let alone a group of people, who have shared almost all my interests and hobbies. It was the social life I've always dreamed of. Is it salvageable? Should I just pay for her car? Definitely. Definitely you need to dream bigger when it comes to the social life. Yeah. Like, if, if the biggest thing you can dream is like, we all really enjoy the same board games, but they think I'm a liar and want me to give money to the person they like the least. Mm-hmm. You need to dream bigger. Okay, but think about it this way. What about if you and I and our friends find someone who's recently moved to the Bay Area, mm-hmm. lend them our car, mm-hmm. right? And then we, a, a month later, we tell them that it's broken and they broke it and they need to pay for it, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think it, we could do that? <laughs> sure you we think could. That, I bet we could make a little money that way. <laughs> I'm sure... I'm sure we could I'm upset on a the very grift. nice That's person. That's what I bring to the relationship. I'm always hustling. Yeah, you, know? you are. You are always thinking about. I'm always thinking the about side gigs. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I I, I uh, can definitely relate to like, especially as a slightly younger person, like finding a group of friends who are all like, "Welcome." Here's one person we hate, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a strange thing to tell me, but sure. I hope you all are able to cut ties." And then later, it's like. No, we actually have this very weird relationship with this person that we hate, and you've upset them, and now you're the problem, and we're never gonna stop like bending over backwards for the person we hate, and you're threatening like the weird ecology of like growing around the like what was the bad tree from Fern Gully? <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Thank you. I can't pronounce well, it. What but was it, it was- called? Hexus. Hexus. was like the big, mean, evil tree that was like, ah, oh, I'm going to infect all the other trees. And like the logical response would be like, let's get rid of this tree. And everyone's like, no, we need it. I've never seen this Marie. movie. It's about trees who are friends. It's, it's, about, <laughs> it's about a lot of things. Uh, Robin Williams also plays, I believe, a rapping bat. Ooh. It was, I assume rapping like the musical style, yes. not like he... Yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the point is, I, I, I think you have stumbled onto a really bad group dynamic yeah. where, like, they are kind of all fueled by complaining about Maureen. And then whenever the opportunity comes to do something about Maureen, they're like, oh, no, 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 no. That exposes the lie that we are a good people. Um, <laughs> we need Maureen to feel good about ourselves. Yeah. Maybe they all feel a bit guilty about bitching about Maureen. You know? Well, and now that they want to make money. Maureen the hero. Well, that's the thing. Has she won the lottery? Like, what happens to Maureen here? I'm thinking, like, finally came into her trust fund. This feels like just oh, came into her you trust think these fund. These are behavior. rich people. Yeah. Interesting possibility. This is like the kind of fight about money that rich people get into. Actually, that's what that's what it feels yeah. like to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like that, that kind idea. of like. So when we're talking about this one the other night, you shared a theory about this, which didn't initially occur to me, and I noticed that you haven't shared it with this. Uh, audience, yeah. and I suspect that's because it makes you feel guilty. Is that right? Yeah, my first read was like, yeah. did you hit the car? Yeah. The, 
I mean, and I've, I've sort of become persuaded of that. Actually. See, I, now I've abandoned it. I don't no. think the letter writer hit oh the car. Oh my God, it's like I think the it's portrait totally of Mr. WH. No, I think there's a possibility that maybe this letter writer did. I feel like I should preface this by saying in college, I did hit a friend's car with plausible deniability, or like I hit a tree with a friend's car. And it was like plausibly deniable enough that I was like, oh, I really don't want to acknowledge that I did it. And then it just Daniel, became... did you write this letter? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I did not. No, I did not. But insurance... Maureen, if you're out there. <laughs> yeah. I have insurance now. I can pay you back. Um, I want to operate on the assumption that the letter writer did not, in fact, uh, okay. bust up the car. Well, so one of the two things is true. Either um, this letter writer has a terrible group of friends um, who are m- maliciously trying to extort money from her possibly through some kind of medium-term grift for which they have made Maureen the point person. (laughs) That's one theory of the case. Mm -hmm. The other theory of the case is that an individual has hit a car, you know, has, has broken their friend's car and written to an advice columnist for an online newspaper. You can just say website. Or websites, as you call them in this new economy, uh, to attempt to uh, disguise the fact. Yeah. Neither of these is a plausible theory. I think we need a new... Th- they're both kind of cracky, aren't they? They're both kind of odd ideas. They well, are. Something's afoot with this now. Like, something is not right in this story. I think... So here's what I think it is. Uh, last year, my car broke down right after I had taken it to get the oil changed. And... I just like, there's only so much room in my brain for logic. And I just felt irrationally resentful. Like, I just know the guys who changed the oil in my car are to blame for this. And this is why my car is broken down because my car worked before this. And then some guys opened the hood and did mysterious things I don't understand. And now it doesn't work the next day. And I like took it in and the people, and I was like, so yesterday I got my oil changed. Do you think that's why it doesn't work anymore? And they're like, no. It's like this other thing that I didn't understand. And I, I couldn't really let myself believe it. Like I knew that they were telling me the truth. This was a totally different company. They had no reason to say those other people uh, either did or didn't damage your car. But it just felt like, well, I started to notice it now. And they did stuff I didn't understand before. And I feel like with Maureen, there's an excellent chance that the car had been like, well on its way to breaking down already and then someone borrowed it and then she started to notice like something is up and there was no like smoking gun but she just wanted it to not be her fault I don't like it when my car breaks down in my mind cars should last for 50 years and so anytime they don't I'm like something is horribly wrong (laughs) instead of like this is how cars work Um, and so I think Maureen just really wants it to be somebody else's fault Um, you think Maureen does? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, Maureen is Couldn't like... could that same theory of the case apply to the letter writer? What? The, le- <laughs> the letter writer, too, could have accidentally broken it and really not wanted to. Yeah, I, I think just in terms of, like, what causes a car to break down other than just, like, time and entropy. I also, what happened to the car? Because it's, it's, it's not that it broke down, it's that it broke. You know? Yeah. So to me, right. that implies like a you know like a, a fender bender or something like you know something's scratched or yeah. I mean, if or... this was the first time you heard that the car was broken, several months after you gave it back to her, that is made up. 
right? Like if you returned the car to her and she said, great, thank you. And then two months later, my car's not working. Okay. So then why is this person not writing a letter saying, my crazy friends are claiming that I've broken a car that I absolutely didn't break and I have no credible, there's no credible reason why they would think that I broke this car. Because it's the social life they've always dreamed of. Well, good luck to them. Yeah. I want to say something on this. This was what I was going to say in the last one before you cut me off and moved on to this one. I was in such a hurry. But it was this, and it was just... um, Both of these uh, letters, the first one and the second one, start with the same uh, format, which is, he is truly amazing, uh, of the husband, or um, I've been having a blast in the second one. And it seems very often that when people begin um, Dear Prudence letters where they're really keen to say that they're very, very happy, mm-hmm. usually they're not. Yeah. Right? That seems to be a good rule of thumb. Yes. Um, so maybe that's something just worth considering. I think my advice to this person is, you know, you deserve a new group of friends and I think you can find them. Yeah. I, I think I'm right there with you. And if not, move to a small amount in town and you can... <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I think the only, like, I think it's very clear here, like, you, you did not break the car. It's not reasonable to assume that you driving a car several months ago is why it doesn't work now. Um, and the thing that is going to be hard to let go of is, like, I can't believe I found a group of friends who share this hobby of mine. Um, what if I never find that again? And to that, I would just say it would be I hope you were able to find people who share your interests because that's really meaningful. That's not just, like, a cosmetic you know, unimportant, trivial thing. But more important than that are, are people who will not, like, introduce you to their friends by saying, here's our friend that we hate, but whenever she does or says something unreasonable, we really get behind her for reasons we are not going to go into. And also, we don't trust you when you say you didn't break someone's car. Like, that, those are, like, you know, if the, if the issues of character are there then no amount of like similarities of taste will make up for it. I, I wish so much I could go like back in time to myself at 19 and be like, just because this person thinks the same things are funny that you do does not mean that they are going to be nice to you if you try to date them. Mm. <laughs> Please write that down. You know, I, I hadn't quite thought of it in those terms, but it's usually, um, it's usually bad if someone likes the same things as I do because I don't especially like that I like the things I like, you know? I, the things I like usually, you know, if I'm being honest with myself, it's like, that's kind of a shitty thing about me, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I like things, but I'm, you know, it's, it's not my higher self. I would like to be in love with people or to have close relationships with people who l- love things that I think are noble rather than things I think are funny. Because things I think are funny are usually like, you know, someone falling over. Or it's it's, it's not... a continuum that goes like all the way up to like the John Waters thing of like if you go home with someone and they don't have a bunch of books, like don't have sex with them. Yeah. Which is just like mistaking interests in common yeah. or certain hobbies or owning books with like good moral character or right. sexual interest. Um, and I, I think generally it's good to move away from that. Do we think that the inverse is true? That's what I want to tell. Like if you go home with someone and they have a lot of books, you, you, you have out. to. God, yeah, no. yeah. Oh man, I was planning on just having Fuck a cup off, of nerd. coffee, but like, these are several bookshelves. Yeah. Um, well, actually, I am a professor kind of, of English. I teach UC, but <laughs> that, that does kind of segue into our next letter, yeah. uh, which I'm very excited to get to read. The subject is... My sister is convinced that she's a genius. So, like, what? We'll just—I'll just read the letter. I'm just gonna read the letter. 
Dear Prudence. You just did a little camp finger thing. It was cute. A few months ago. It's cute. My 34-year-old sister took one of those online quizzes. The kind that say only people with an IQ of 150 or higher will get a perfect score on this quiz. So like a pop-up, basically. (laughs) Well, what do you know? She got a perfect score. She started bragging about this nonstop, both online and off, but I held my tongue. But it wasn't long before my sister's happiness soon turned to rage towards my parents, mostly my mother, for failing to recognize her potential as a child, for not sending her to a special school, and for, quote, neglecting her gift to the point of emotional abuse. Again, I said nothing. Then my sister aired her grievances on a Facebook post where she ripped into our mother and all her friends joined in, calling our mother terrible names. Luckily, our mother doesn't use Facebook, but I still thought this was crossing a line, so I left a comment on the post saying that those quizzes are, quote, fake, and that if anything, taking them seriously is a sign of an impaired IQ. Well, this has set off World War III in our family. In the past few weeks, my sister has been calling everyone she can think of, including all our relatives, as well as several childhood friends, to let them know what I've done and to tell them they should cut off contact with me. My mother is furious with me and is demanding that I apologize and that I admit my sister is a genius. Both of which I refuse to do. If I don't, mom is threatened to disinvite me from all future family events. She still doesn't know about the Facebook post. Should I settle this once and for all by showing it to her? I took screenshots, but I'm worried it will break her heart. Is your sister's name Maureen? (laughs) Has she recently come into a lot of money? (laughs) So we'll just start with IQ. Fake and racist, right? Fake and racist. Fake and racist. So anyone who's invested in the year of our Lord 2019 with like IQs. Fake, racist, eugenicist. Um, One thing that is interesting about the history of IQ is that it's a quotient. People don't really think about this, but... Sorry, I'm doing professorial. No, that's bullshit. what I want. I, no, 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 no. What's an intelligence so my, my co- quotient? I can, one thing I can actually do is tell you that my colleague Susan Schweik at UC Berkeley is an expert on the IQ test and the history of the IQ test, and she's absolutely incredible. And one of the and it's fake and racist. And one of the things that is uh, fascinating about it is that it is a quotient, meaning that it is a relationship between two numbers rather than a number. Um, Nowadays, conventionally, we just say an IQ of 150 or whatever, but it should be uh, understood as a ratio, and the denominator in that ratio is age. Oh. Um, So in other words, it's a a way of thinking about uh, your supposed aptitude for whatever relative to your age. Um, A 34-year-old who gets 150... You know what I mean? It's like it's actually not... um, Even within the, 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 the messed up logic of the IQ test, this is not actually an accurate way to do an IQ test. It's a way of measuring developmental changes. Yeah. And I'm not an expert on this, but my colleague Sue Schweik is, so read her work. It's really good. Well, that is, frankly, helpful. Yeah. Um, Not that I think your sister is going to be super receptive to that conversation. (laughs) Because, Um, actually, I want to sort of leave open the possibility that the sister is kind of a genius here, because something is happening. She certainly has a genius for something. Yeah, exactly. She's got dr- she's got moxie. Yeah. This lady. Um, she's she is up at dawn calling your childhood friends, yeah. demanding they cut ties with you. Like she is hard at work. What would you do if this was your sister and you had screenshots that could break your mother's heart? <sighs> but would maybe Well, my let mother's you off the hook? being weak. Yeah. 
So break the heart. You know, that yeah. heart needs breaking. Yeah. That's, that's my instinct. Oh, there was some disagreement there. I think I, don't do it. You think, I don't know. I, and this isn't a pantomime. I, you know, you want to get up. Anyway, whatever. My, <laughs> point, my point is, I think um, that, uh, you know, I like to start fights. I would start a fight here. Yeah. I, I, I think you can have a showdown. I think it'd be fun. What your sister is doing uh, is creating havoc for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciate that. I admire that. I think there's a, a commitment to that. And I think you, you've, you meet her on her own terrain. You play the card that she's hoping you won't play. I like that. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly I don't think this is a situation where, like, laying low is going to um, bear a lot of fruit. Like, laying low means she keeps hassling your childhood friends and all your other relatives. And it's not quite the Marine situation, but it's definitely going to be like, she's the one we have to pacify. And yeah, what she's asking for is outrageous, but if we do it, she'll calm down. And when she's not calmed down, she makes life hell for everybody. So like the group dynamic is going to swing in the direction of like the 34 year old who's like calling up childhood friends and screaming, admit I'm a genius or stop talking to my sibling. Um, if you lay low, she will win. Um, and I don't know that I want to put you, like, like send you into battle in the sense of, like, scorch the earth right back at her, like, lay waste to her life. Um, You're a coward. But I do, th- <laughs> I do think um, that it's important to kind of figure out uh, both what are things that you want to, like, say, I don't want to cross this line no matter how unreasonable she becomes, and also, what are things that I'm just not going to give quarter to? Um, I can't be a coward. I said give quarter. You did. Like Robin Hood, who is <laughs> yeah. a brave, brave character. Brave fox and transmasculine energy. Oh, extremely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, um, Robin Hood is a trans man. That is Robin Hood is a trans man. I never thought of that before. Clear on its face. Is there? From the leggings to the like, you yeah, know, totally. deep faith in like male community and yeah. mm-hmm. love of hiking. Mm-hmm. Anyhow. Sprightliness. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, with your childhood friends, I would say maybe get on the phone and say, I'm really sorry that my sister is calling you and harassing you about her like genius quiz. Um, I'm embarrassed. I, I wish she wouldn't do that. Um, I, I'm so sorry she's drawing you into this. How are you doing? Like, Just offer people a reasonable alternative to your sister. And the people who are like, oh, thank God, I'd like to flock to that, those are people you can continue to invest in. Um, and and mm. with, with relatives, you can kind of let them know, like, I'm really sorry that she's doing this. Um, I, I don't have, like, a, a, a horse in this race in terms of establishing who was or wasn't a genius at which age. Um, just know that this is not coming for me, and I'm really sorry. So, uh, you know, if, if, if that doesn't stop her, that will at least let other people know that you are not, like, putting fuel on her fire. Um, I, I do think when it comes to your mom, maybe save the screenshots in reserve and just say, like, Mom, I love you. I get that she's really hurt and upset about this right now. The only reason I had anything to say about this was because I saw that she was talking really angrily about you particularly and how you failed her um, and were abusive because you did not put her in a genius school. I felt like that was an unfair characterization of our childhood, and it upset me. Um, that's where I'm coming from. If you still want to ban me from family holidays, that would really, really hurt. But there we are. And then, like, then if that does nothing, I don't think the screenshots would have, frankly. But you can, all, if she always says, like, she said what? You can say, like, here is what she said. 
So show her the screenshots. We're but, agreeing. You're framing this as a disagreement, but it's an agreement. I'm saying tell, like, give her an overview first. And if sure. she seems inclined to want to see, to sure. see it, yeah. then yes. But okay, don't just like that. text them to her and say like, look. Um, that would be, I think. It's a side issue at this point, but can we talk about selective education? Yeah. Uh, because it just came up briefly in what you were saying. Yeah. And not that I necessarily want to uh, lurch too far into the gifted kid tirade, which is its own form of, you know, maelstrom. Um, but I can talk from personal experience about some of this, which is that, do you mind if I talk about personal? You know what I'm about to say, I think. is Yeah, okay. So um, when I was young, I was diagnosed with a learning uh, disability uh, when I was eight years old. And then a couple of years later, when I was 10, I was diagnosed um, on the basis of an IQ test with uh, sort of in- increased aptitude of some kind. And on, it was the same evidence, weirdly, that led to each of them, which was they showed me abstract shapes when I was a child um, and asked me what they looked like. And I just said lots and lots of different things. And it, I said so many things that they thought I must be very smart, um, which isn't what smartness... Anyway, my point is I was sent off to a selective school at the age of 11 um, and... Hated it, actually, and still have a real, um, have real difficulty dealing with that notion of being taken away from my community and taken away from people that I thought of as peers um, and placed in this environment. It's something that I really struggle with. Yeah, and I think in general that's part of what feels sad about this letter is it's, it would be one thing if the letter writer had said, like, my sister has certain things about our childhood that she feels hurt about, certain things that she felt like weren't nurtured. Like, that could be a real meaningful conversation you could potentially have with a parent. But this idea that, like, because of this, like, historically racist test, I wasn't, like, plucked out from my peers and sent to a special school for, like, extra good kids who should be fast-tracked to, like, money and success, that's bad. We shouldn't have that. Um, you know, and especially like in this country, like, again, like gifted and talented programs often have a lot to do with like educational segregation. Like mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, um, burn down Hogwarts is what we're saying. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's really, really fair to say that here and to say like, listen, sister, if, if you want to have a conversation about ways in which you feel like hurt or neglected or parts of yourself that you want to like nurture or foster now, like, let's do that. But, but being angry that you didn't get sent off to like a school that would have given you extra resources at the expense of other kids, you know, 28 years ago, how much time is that? That would be four, fine, 25 years ago. Um, you know, I, I just don't support that. And, and that's, I think, a really important thing to push back against. Mm-hmm. And again, if she just goes totally ballistic at that and says like, that means that you hate me and you want me to die in a ditch, you know, you can just go ahead and say like, best of luck to you in all your future endeavors and like block her on social media, block her phone number and hang out with people who don't take her calls because she is acting. She is not like advocating for IQ tests or selective education. Like this is where you get like this level of entitlement and fury. Mm -hmm. And like, I should have been treated better than other kids because of a quiz I took online. Um, I don't like your sister. And the best well, I can hope... I kind of love your sister because I relate to the sister. <laughs> but the I sister's can... in the wrong. Yes. Very, very, very clearly. You know, as always, <laughs> it's possible to say, I admire your energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's misplaced. I agree. Would you please read our next letter? I would love to. Queerer wedding party. One of my best friends recently came out as non-binary. 
and is going by a gender-neutral nickname and they-them pronouns. I'm very glad for them and have been practicing to avoid thoughtlessly misgendering them. They live in another part of the country, so I only see them once or twice a year. They are in my wedding party in a couple of months, and my very large, somewhat conservative family is used to my friend's old name and pronouns. Apart from telling family that I speak to you regularly about this change, what steps can I take to ensure my friend is not misgendered without putting them in the awkward position of scrutiny that might occur if I did something like make an announcement? I know they would rather not be the center of attention, but I also know that being repeatedly misgendered all night would probably suck. So this just makes me think of, I sent Grace a picture earlier today that somebody had sent to me, which is just like an old-timey prospector that's just like, we don't take too kindly to misgendering in these parts. (laughs) And that's all I could think of as I was reading this letter. I found it very charming. Um, I find this sweet. I find this letter writer sweet and and, and well-intended, and I wish them the best, and I hope their wedding goes great. Um... I think there's a limit to how much you can control um, whether or not that's going to happen. But I think within that framework of I cannot make this night go perfectly, that there are probably some things that you can do to make things a little bit easier. And number one, I would say is just start by asking your friend Um, because your friend might lean towards, actually, I don't want you to like have to have conversations with your relatives. I'm prepared to potentially get misgendered by a bunch of people I don't see very often for one evening, but I would much rather that you not have those conversations with them and then just like power through it. Or they might say like, I would actually love it if you ran a little interference for me. That would mean a lot to me. Thank you. Um, But you gotta, you gotta ask just because everybody can feel really differently about that. And certainly in my own transition, I've had different times where like, if someone asked me, I would say like, oh, thank you. Yes, please do. Or like, nope. I just like marked that day on my calendar as like, I'm going to get misgendered Mm -hmm. a lot day. And it's, I would, I would prefer that to having a lot of personal conversations with like relatives of a friend I only see twice a year. So ask, yeah. I think that's a, re- a really good point. And I think also worth um, registering that if the family is large, there may be a different set of issues. There may just be some people who are likely to ask incredibly personal questions. Mm-hmm. There are, might be some people who will get everything technically right but treat it with a kind of contempt um, that is palpable and is meant to be palpable. There may be just different kinds of challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that may be worth thinking about uh, with, with the friend as well, um, you know, or individually and with other members of the family. But I think it is really important in these moments um, for us to, for everyone, I guess, for this letter writer and for me and for you and for everyone to accept that we don't get to control really fundamentally all of other people's ways of referring to us and addressing us. And we wish that we did. And we have modes of redress that will allow us to um, shape these things and to move forward collectively. And there are things that we can do, mm-hmm. but, 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 but they are limited. And, and, and we collectively, um, we, we work in imperfect circumstances as we try to understand transness, understand non-binariness and, under, you know, work out how to, make life more livable for each other yeah. and ourselves. Yeah. No, and and I think that's right on the money too. Like there are ways, especially with family and people that you love, that you can invite them and say like, I have no interest in compelling you to do things. Um, I would love you to know something and to take the opportunity when you are given uh, it um, to respect other people's desires about their own lives and their own bodies, even if it doesn't seem like something that you would want for yourself, even if it doesn't immediately seem legible or understandable. Um, and so I, I think, again, checking in with your friend first um, and then like having something prepared for relatives who might want to ask you like a question that you kind of want to like 
run interference on. Um, and it just kind of come back to like, I'm happy to talk a little bit about this or answer some of the questions, although I obviously can't speak on behalf of my friend. But, you know, ultimately what I'm just asking for is whether or not you would consider on my wedding day going out of your way towards making this friend of mine feel welcome. Um, mm -hmm. That would mean a lot to me and it would mean a lot to my friend. And even if it's not something that feels really natural to you, it would mean a lot to me. Um, and that can sometimes get through to people who might otherwise be a little bristly or a little like goofy. Um, but I would also say to check in with your friend of like, if, if I do ask people beforehand, if it comes up in the moment, would you prefer that I just gently correct people or would you rather not say anything? Because again, you know, usually, like, usually my response if somebody misgenders me, especially if it's in like good faith, is just like, that is fine. Let me tip you an extra 20% and run away from the situation. Like often, again, I don't want to speak for everybody, but often, um, especially if somebody is like newly out, they don't want to have like a bunch of big conversations about it all night at your wedding. Like they, they would like to keep it moving. They don't want to be seen as difficult. So um, your friend may very well say like, oh, I would actually love it if you would like quietly correct people. Or your friend might say like, if it happens, I just want to like go hang out with like the queer contingent at like table nine. It was um, table 10. That way yeah. that we were <laughs> yes. Yes. It's always yeah. good to have the table <laughs> where everyone's just like, ah, we're at this table for a reason. <laughs> Our wedding will have a straight people table. <laughs> I yeah. Guess. yeah, and then just beyond that, you know, know that it will still happen. Yeah. And I don't mean that in the sense of like, don't worry about it, no big deal. I just mean in the sense that like, do what you can to help out your friend mm -hmm. and then also don't worry that you didn't do enough if somebody slips up because that happens and your friend will not hold you like personally accountable for that. You plan the action, not the result, you know. Yeah. You, you do everything that is possible to... Um, show up for your friend and show up for uh, your community and then um, you understand that the, 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 your efforts are limited in their efficacy um, and that's yeah it's, it, it, it sometimes hurts mm -hmm. you know we, this isn't exactly within the, the, the confines of the letter but I think often when we talk about um, issues around referring to other people or addressing other people we frame it implicitly into, and this letter does too in terms of um, speech codes and self-policing and, and, and kind of everyone minding their P's and Q's and implicitly we're having an argument about free speech or something like it. Um, but in fact, really what we're talking about is how it feels to be misunderstood and how it feels to be uh, excluded. And I, I think often if people reflected more on that side of things, um, the question of, you know, how, how would it feel, do you think, to be addressed consistently in a way that felt um, really profoundly at odds with your sense of yourself? You know, mm -hmm. it would feel maddening. It does feel maddening, yeah. you know? Um, I, I think if we, the, the more that we can encourage people, including this letter writer, to reflect on that part of the question and less on, like, who can I police and how, yeah. um, I think, in a sense, we'll be moving forward. Yeah. And I think one of the things that the letter writer is doing already that will serve them well, and I'm glad to hear that they're doing it, is like they're, they're thinking about it. They're like, I know I don't see my friend that often, so my image of them is kind of fixed um, as the last time I saw them. And one of the things that I am now doing to uh, kind of correct for that is I am imagining what my friend is going through. Um, I'm kind of reminding myself repeatedly that they don't see themselves the way I saw them the last time we hung out two years ago. Um, so that 
it's not just like every time I see them, I'm like, oh, right, I have to think of them differently now. Quick, try to catch up. Um, and I think that mental work, just that act of imagining, um, of reminding yourself what someone has told you about themselves um, and spending a few minutes every couple of weeks, every couple of months putting yourself in their position is a good act to do regardless of like what gender your friends are. Um, it's, it's a really good way to um, maintain a close relationship with someone throughout the course of a lifetime where they might change a lot. So today I was getting a tattoo. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about transition. I was, as I often do when I'm getting tattooed, relaying the story of, you know, how I came to reflect on my own um, gender identity and my own sort of sexual identity when I was, um, you know, first when I was about 21 and then when I was, uh, again, just sort of turning into my 30s a few years ago. Um, and I was talking about how I used to wear a lot of dresses when I was younger and now I no longer do. And I was lying on my front because the tattoo I was getting was right there. So I was lying on my front. Um, and I realized as I was reaching the end of the story, she hadn't quite worked out whether or not I chose to transition or not. <laughs> like, she literally didn't, think, didn't know whether this was a story that ended with, and then I decided to become a woman or whether this story ended with, and then I decided to let this whole thing go and just um, put it aside. And the way in which she expressed that question was, she said, so did you, do you you still wear dresses sometimes? (laughs) I was like, I'm wearing one now. (laughs) It just looks like a shirt when I'm lying on my front. If I were lying on my back, you wouldn't be asking this question. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, sorry. No, but it is. <laughs> I'm just talking about myself here. Yeah. Anyone hear about my problems? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Living in the world in a body is challenging and exciting. Yeah. And it's funny sometimes when you're with someone who intrinsically understands something about you and then ans- asks a question that you realize like, oh, in some ways we're very much in tune in this moment. And in another way, oh, you don't see something about me that I feel like is incredibly obvious. I want to underline she's an actual tattoo artist genius whom I met for the first time today. That's so exciting. Daddy, it was amazing. I'm so glad. Would you read our next letter? Thank you, darling. Would I be throwing potential happiness away? Dear Prudence, I'm a single man in my late 40s and I've been mostly happy not being in a relationship. I've come to accept the possibility that I will remain single for the rest of my life. That doesn't mean I will never be in a relationship again or won't ever try to date, but I'm comfortable whatever happens. I have a very good friend that I've known for over 20 years. We have a close platonic relationship. Unfortunately, she's suffering from a debilitating disease that is making it more and more difficult for her to live alone. Plus, she lives in a very isolated area. Would I be throwing away potential future happiness by having my friend move in with me so I can look out for her? I mean, this would be a perpetual roommate situation, so she would not ever be looking for another place. Is it too much to ask that, should I meet someone and it becomes a relationship, that we'd be considered a package deal? When I say she has no one, I mean it. She has even been denied disability, although we hope an appeal will reverse that decision, and her part-time job won't cover the bills for much longer. I want to be there for my good friends, but while I am comfortable with not being in a relationship, I don't know if I'm taking steps towards ensuring it will never happen. Everyone I know says I'm crazy for even considering this, but I would like an unbiased opinion. Okay, I, this one's very easy this for me. This is the easiest one in it's the world. It's be- What a beautiful thing. This Move it with your friends. Yeah. Have fun. Great. This is fabulous. I love that this person thinks I'm unbiased. Yeah. Um, yeah. That I feel flattered by that. This is the easiest question we've gotten all day. This is fantastic. It's beautiful. This is beautiful. I'm so glad that you don't feel like constrained by like the only way to live a good life is to eventually like settle down with one person that I'm in yeah. a romantic relationship with and everyone else can just figure their shit out or like whatever. Um, this is wonderful. This is loving. This is 
a, a great way to like create family in your own life. Um, and I also think that it will draw the kind of people that you w- would want to be in a romantic relationship mm. with. Like this is not just like, oh, this will be a good screener for weeding out bad people. I, I, I genuinely believe that having this like lovely, loving, supportive, home-based relationship with your best friend is going to draw like-minded thoughtful, caring, compassionate people to you. Um, and that doesn't mean like, this is going to be a great way to like meet chicks, but like, it's going to be a great way to meet chicks. Because like taking good steps towards building a lovely life, uh, a lovely life. Um, a lovely life. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it attracts other people. I don't mean to get all the secret about it, but I want to be a little the secret about it. It's a little bit the secret. Yeah. Um, I, I I couldn't agree more, except to say that I don't think this guy um, seems as keen as as that line of thinking implies to find a chick. Like I actually think there's something about this guy in his late forties when he says I, I've come to accept the possibility that I remain, remain will remain single. I sort of believe that. I think he has yeah. to, you know become quite peaceful about that idea because he sounds so genuinely enthusiastic about this friendship mm-hmm. and the idea of like you know, this is maybe a bit unusual, but maybe we could live together and, and make ourselves primary in each other's lives. And we don't have to date to do that. We don't have to like have sex to do that, but yeah. maybe we could think of ourselves as each other's people in some yeah. way and have a companionate relationship that is primary and organizational for both of us, share the privileges of our lives, share our domestic space, share rhythms and routines of life and ultimately grow old together. You know, you don't need to want to have sex with someone for that. You don't need to use the language of romantic or erotic attraction to want that with someone. Yeah. And it's not until the, you know, unlike a lot of letters that start out with like, I'm very happy, but I know exactly. It's there's not no trouble until that last sentence. Like mm-hmm. the only reason he doubts himself is because a lot of his other friends are like, this seems like a bad idea. And I would just say, hopefully they don't say that a lot. They're mistaken. Um, the, your other friends are wrong. You are not, bananas for considering this um, and you should absolutely do it and have all your friends over for a dinner party this is Bobby from company 15 years later <laughs> the friend's like Bobby what are you doing you know anyway, he doesn't like Sondheim so he it's not that, that I don't I like Sondheim it's that it. I don't get Sondheim yeah, yeah. anyway <laughs> and I try but, you know also the one thing that I'm just thinking about slightly here is so for a couple of years you and I were best friends right mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it would be fair to say during that time we were primary in each other's life. Oh, yeah. And we were definitely like, well, someday we'll settle down together. Yes. In the back of my mind, it was always like, once Grace stops dating a lot of unsuitable people, <laughs> we will be able to get down to the business of settling down. It's fair. I mean, <laughs> like they were super unsuitable. They were lovely, fine, fine people, but they were super unsuitable. Every time one of us, it wasn't just me, sometimes you dated people too. And anytime anyone would meet one of us and want to date us, we'd be like, hey, look, this is my best friend. You know, we, we're a package deal. How do you feel about that? Um, and people would always be like, yeah, that, that's cool. You know, Danny yeah. seems great, Grace, you know, whatever. Um, but then we ended up like boning any, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we ended up. But, but I don't think, like, I don't want to just say, like, this will be a fun lead up to a romance between oh, the two of, course, of you. Oh, of course, not necessarily. Like, those years yeah. were real and meaningful and important, and we were yeah. able to navigate that. I think, you know, even if somebody was taken aback by it, often the response yeah. was like, okay, I'll figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's totally true. Um, I, I guess I, 
I wanted to remain open to the possibility that when one has a commitment to another individual to whom one feels soul bonded, the nature of that commitment can change over time. Yeah, and that's sometimes, cool too. sometimes you eventually want to make out. Yeah. Seattle, thank you so much for coming out. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Live production was by Faith Smith and Kirsten Holtz. Special thanks to the Museum of Pop Culture. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. And on today's plus segment. And I just really want to be clear here as much as I think it is, you know, I didn't even see like, aside from using the word virgin to open the letter, it didn't feel like there were certain ideas of like, this has to do with my integrity as a person, or I'd be giving something away or um, like damaging ideas about virginity that I think are, are worth losing. So mostly I just want to say as, as much as I think it's really good to acknowledge the ways in which like what we mean when we use the word virginity is like it's kind of like a cute test it's kind of fake to listen to the rest of that conversation join slate plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod anatomy of an ad subconsciously trigger emotions through music perfect define an opportunity imagine talking to millions of people across the u.s like i am now identify a problem creating an audio ad is time consuming Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.